Good morning, good evening, and thank you for inviting us into your car, home, ears, train journey, gym, or wherever else you listen to your podcast. And if it's your first time, then I'm delighted you found us. Matthew Grant here, and I'm recording this before slipping out on holiday for a week, getting myself organized so I can down tools and switch off email and Slack. Much to the relief of my colleagues at Instec, I expect. So in this fast-changing world we live in, who knows what may have happened by the time you're listening to this. One thing's for sure, though, the discussion with Jacob Grob will still be relevant. The first rule of insurance is to know what you are insuring, and so it's no surprise that insurers around the world are continuing to search for the best sources of data about the properties they are quoting on, from the humble home to large campuses of complex properties. A quick plug, by the way, for our location intelligence report, second version available on the Instat website from 22nd of November. Now, TensorFlight has offices in the US and Europe, as well as supporting insurers around the world. And the team has been helping out one of their neighbors to assess the size of an ongoing man-made catastrophe that we are unfortunately all too familiar with. JPEG explains more in a moment, so hang in there. And finally, if you like what you're hearing on the Instat podcast, then please keep telling us and tell your friends. We spend a lot of time preparing and recording these and tidying them up, so it's always good to know what works or even what doesn't. Jacob, thrilled to have you joining us today. Uh, it's been really intriguing seeing what TensorFlight is doing. You were founded back in 2016. I believe you've raised around $9 million. You've got offices in Poland and in the US. We're going to be talking a bit more about that. And I think you're working with the top five US carriers and you're providing data and insights for commercial and residential properties and you yourself are chief Ref revenue officer and you're based in tampa well welcome yeah absolutely thank you and uh you know you're spot on with all of that uh you know we're very proud of uh you know the fact that we're working with the five of the top 10 uh u.s insurers i think that's you know a nice feather in our cap certainly uh addressing commercial and residential as well and being based in Tampa, you must have had a glancing blow or a, fortunately, I think a near miss from Hurricane Ian recently. How was that? Yeah, yeah. When you're in Florida, uh, hurricanes are a fact of life. And, uh, you know, I saw Ian uh, tracking uh, towards my house. And about two days before, uh, the dead center of the hurricane was going to come right over my roof. Uh, and so... Uh, me and all of my neighbors, uh, were out there, you know, we took the day off work, you know, and everybody was outside helping board up each other's houses, kind of batten down the hatches, get everything, uh, you know, prepared and ready for that landfall. And so you really have kind of a community aspect, uh, come out, uh, right. Where you and your neighbors all come together against a con common enemy and, you know, uh, have some steaks and some beers at the end of the day. Uh, and wait for the hurricane to come in. Luckily for, for Tampa and for, you know, myself, and my neighbors, the hurricane turned uh, and, and went in there by Fort Myers. Yeah, no, this thing is very fortunate and I'm glad you're safe by that. But it, it looks like it's been a, some big losses coming out and the ranges we're hearing are between 40 billion and $75 billion, I think, maybe even 80 billion. Uh, yeah. any, any views given your own background in the sort of modeling and analytics world? Of course, your experience on the ground. Yeah. Where between that range you think it's going to end up at? We're not going to hold you. We're not going to hold you accountable for this. <laughs> it is so hard to say. Uh, you know, with the AOB situation down here, uh, assignment of benefits and, and kind of the contractor situation, I think that it's going to be on the higher end. And certainly we're going to see this drag on for a lot longer than it should. 
you know, when I look at Florida and in the market here, I mean, it's just a tough place to write business. Uh, there is so much, uh, a natural hazard that, that you're exposed to. I mean, climate change is absolutely creating a situation where storms are just, uh, unprecedented. When Irma came through, everybody was talking about it being the largest hurricane, you know, ever. Uh, it was 485 miles across. Ian, uh, came through and is over 500 miles across. And the eye of Ian was the same size as Charlie. So these storms are just uh, becoming uh, a fact of life. What should people think about distinguishing TensorFlight from other organizations providing property data? Everybody's kind of looking from the top down, looking at satellite data, fixed wing, um, looking from that vantage point. We use that view as well, kind of that top down, but we're also extracting data from ground level imagery. So if you think about Google Maps or Google Street View, uh, and you can see the front of a building, there's a whole nother set of data attributes and components that you can extract from that. And so we're doing that as well as that top-down view and combining those together to improve accuracy of all the data uh, and also just pull out additional characteristics like occupancy type and construction type that others aren't able to do. Yeah, really interesting about those different ways of looking at the information. You, you mentioned Google Street View in there. I, just taking that one as one example, are you working directly with Google or do you have other sources of information so you can see the property from, I guess, street level? There's a number of different uh, data sources uh, for that ground level imagery. I use Google Street View as an example because everybody knows that. We're using that data uh, along with, you know, a myriad of other uh, data sources like Airbus and NearMap and GIC and Maxar and all of the usual suspects that you see in this space, and then bringing in that ground level imagery as well. So with regards to what that means from a property, and I believe you started off in commercial property or TensorFlight started off in commercial property. So you got some quite big challenges to them working out what is actually going on at the property level. But mm -hmm. it's helpful to understand, so you've got these different data sources, but then what are your clients getting? Are, they, are you giving them the data sources or are you doing the analytics to give them the actual property attribute information? It's all analytics. I mean, we are sharing the imagery that we're using so that a customer can take a look at that image and see if they agree or not. But at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is streamline processes. Uh, most of our interactions with our customers are through our API. Uh, people connect directly to it and we start answering those questions up front at point of quote. So, you know, especially like in Florida with, with the hurricane situation, the roof shape, uh, roof condition, roof material is incredibly important to that marketplace. And right now, the way most people are interacting with, uh, companies like mine, are they doing, you know, monthly batches of the bound policies? What TensorFlight is doing is actually pushing that forward to point of quote. Uh, so our customers can make a decision on a policy at point of quote before it's bound. Because if you start pushing that decision further down uh, in the process, you start changing rates, changing premiums, and, you know, you kind of... You're upsetting your agents that don't want to have to go back and, and make adjustments afterwards. So what we like to do is really push that decision to point of quote and really in a streamlined way at that API level.
just want to unpick that a little bit because the way insurance is sold in the US is slightly different than the way it's sold mm. in the UK and the rest of the world. So just so that we'll understand what you're referring to. So, so basically what you're saying is that the essentially the price that the agent gives the policyholder is the price that comes through from the TensorFlight data through an API. Great to hear that. They don't therefore need to go back afterwards and change it once there's been more information about the property. The, the traditional way that it would happen is a broker would give a quote and then the policyholder would provide some more information and then they'd be back and forward and then they may end up with something that may or may not be the same price, which is a bit frustrating yep. for all around. So you actually yep. basing that whole process happen much more more quickly. And mm-hmm. and it's interesting when that's being used. So can you just talk through a little bit of how the agent gets the information to make that quote? How are you positioning that to the people right at the front end who are talking to the customers? The agent is interacting with uh, one of our customers' uh, policy admin systems, right? So they're quoting the policy through our customer system. And our, our customer system is pinging us with that address. We're replying back with all of that data that they need to make that calculation for premium. So that's taking into account that roof shape, the material, the sparse footage of the property, the replacement cost, all coming from us and allowing them to do that entire calculation and provide back a quote to that agent uh, in a very, you know, within seconds and with almost no additional questions being asked, right? Like we can give them everything that they need uh, to understand about that property to create that quote. And, and in terms of the, People who are actually selling this, so these agents, I mean, what's their kind of state of readiness to be able to do this real time? Because this is pushing the boundary of what they've been doing before. Do you find that most people are welcoming these new kind of abilities or are a lot of them still tied up in legacy systems or legacy mindset where, yeah, they don't necessarily have the ability or the desire to use that kind of dynamic data or dynamic pricing? There is a age difference, right? The younger generation of uh, consumers and agents are definitely um, all about that questionless quote, be able to plug in an address and just get the information out. But I think that the whole market is absolutely going that way because going through those cumbersome interviews and all of the friction with asking a homeowner questions about their property that they don't necessarily know and then trying to track it down, it, it's just a lot of friction that is just no longer needed, that's no longer required. And so we're really pushing that boundary forward where you plug in an address and a name and we're able to supply everything that's needed for that quote. And we mentioned before about the US carriers, but are you also helping out on the excess and surplus lines where you've got more complicated property and that might be delegated underwriting or MGAs or MGUs? In the Florida market where the emitted space is just, they're having so much difficulties, not just because of the assignment benefits and all of the claims and just that state, but also the rate adequacy to deal with all of those costs and the reinsurance costs, it is very tough to be a carrier. And so what you're seeing is the ENS market coming in and supplying another level or another layer of insurance that the emitted guys are no longer able to support. And so you kind of get that almost admitted look to an ENS product um, all the way up through incredibly complex, you know, multi-building structures, um, you know, commercial stuff, everything in that kind of ENS space that we're serving. I just want to come back and talk about those complicated commercial ones, but I just, for anybody listening, that there's a couple of things that I wanted to talk about. So admitted 
just to be clear for anyone not familiar with that term, those are the mm. basically the regulated US insurers or yeah. carriers that have to file rates by state. And yeah, a policyholder generally will have the need or the agent or the need to submit the business to three admitted carriers. If they don't accept it, then it goes into the excess certain surplus lines. That tends to be the kind of more complicated properties. And then your assignment of benefits, you mentioned that in there. For those that aren't familiar with what's happening in Florida, would you mind just saying a few words about what's happening in that and why is that a challenge? In Florida, uh, the laws allow for assignment of benefits. And, and what that means is a contractor or a roofer can come in to a homeowner after a storm or after an event and say, hey, assign your benefits over to me. I will make the claim for you. I will collect the money from the insurance carrier and I'll do, I'll fix your house for you. And so they'll go in and rip off a roof before the carrier even has a chance to look at it, put on a brand new roof. And now they have the assignment of benefits. They understand the insurance system. They understand uh, the process. They have lawyers that are dedicated to ensuring that these get paid. And they certainly inflate uh, the cost of that replacement of the roof. And so you're seeing, you know, people no longer buy new roofs. Uh, they wait for a storm in the insurance company to buy it for them, right? We had like the same problem with sinkholes in Florida. Florida is ripe with stink sinkholes. And so any type of foundational crack or settling or anything, uh, homers used to go after carriers to pay for their entire house as a total loss. And they closed that loophole and now they found another and that's the assignment of benefits. And that's what we're grappling with right now. It seems like quite a high risk way to get a new roof waiting to hurry. No, I mean, it's been a whole issue of social inflation has been a real problem. And then mm -hmm. we talked about roof types a couple of times. So in terms of like the data you're providing is helping people understand the quality of roofs. Can you just talk about examples about different roof types and how that might impact the resilience to hurricane or windstorms? The most basic difference is hip versus gable. And a hip roof is going to kind of more look like a pyramid uh, with, with sides that go all the way down to the edges and a gable kind of comes to a point. And that gable, uh, where it comes to a, a point in the front of the building, catches wind. And so when there's high winds, it funnels it up to the point and then the, uh, rips the roof off just like can of sardines. That hip roof really protects from those wind events. Uh, and so you see the, the largest single discount you get on Florida homeowners insurance and really any coastal play that's out there is your roof shape. Uh, and so knowing that upfront is, is very important. So anybody listening from Florida, go outside and see whether you've got a pointy bit of roof in that, <laughs> yeah, or you've got a nice resilient pyramid shaped hip roof yeah. and uh, you'll probably be a bit more resilient. That's really helpful. And then let's come back to this commercial one. So you started off in, in commercial risk, or at least mm -hmm. TensorFlight started off in that area. Mm -hmm. Much harder to be able to understand what a complicated campus looks like or facility. Oh, yeah. but can, so can you explain how are you able to get that information you know, versus a kind of slightly more straightforward homeowner's property? Yeah, you know, when you look at homeowners, uh, it is generally a single building in the center of a small parcel. Very simple, very vanilla. And when you're training AI and, and machine learning to extract information, it's a very vanilla risk, right? It's a very standard problem. You get into these campuses, you get into apartment complexes, commercial parks, uh, where you have a parcel with multiple, multiple buildings on it. Maybe there's 10, maybe there's 100. And each one of those buildings uh, is a little different. 
You have warehouses, you have office buildings, you have garages, all sorts of different variations. And so really where we stand out is one, we're looking at an entire parcel and resolving every building individually uh, and returning that data, both in our user interface and in our API. We're using that ground level imagery to make determinations on what types of buildings are on those parcels. And so, you know, when you get into, you know, large SOVs or statements of values uh, that oftentimes are being submitted uh, by brokers uh, that just have a value and don't really have all of that detail of what's on the campus, we're able to come in and fill out and fill in all of those gaps in knowledge and information about uh, what you're actually insuring. And then we talked about the API a few times, uh, but I know that you, you've also got the ability, and you referenced it before, about people to actually look at some of the underlying data. And I believe you've mm -hmm. even created a tool. And I, what I really liked about the way you're doing is most organizations don't want to have to build out a new or don't want to use a new interface or tool. So you're providing the data through an API to build into existing systems. Mm -hmm. Talk a bit about who those are in a minute. But you do also provide people, you know, a kind of use analogy if you want to lift the hood or the bonnet, as you call it, in the UK in your car to see what's going on and mm -hmm. you know, poke around, you can sort of find all the diagnostics and things. You've got a version of that, don't you, for yep. your APIs? Absolutely. In our API, when we process a location, uh, we actually create a URL link as well. And that URL link can be invoked uh, anytime in the future. And that's going to bring you directly into our user interface with the imagery that we use to extract the data uh, for that location, as well as the site plan and, and all of the other detail that goes around uh, that. Uh, and so if there is something that kind of throws up red flags, our users can click on that link, jump in and see exactly what's going on on the ground and start extracting more information at that point. And then just shifting a little bit to different types of risk, but I believe now with some of the situation in Russia that the solar panels becoming one of the sort of challenging areas to ensure, I guess, yeah. as we look at going to more transition and climate zero, there's going to be mm -hmm. yeah, more of these. Can you just talk a little bit about what's happening in that area? Take a little sidestep first. I want to take a little detour and then I'll answer the solar panel part because I think there's a bigger relationship with Ukraine uh, that we have. So shortly after the invasion of Ukraine, uh, the Kyiv School of Economics put together this program where they wanted to capture all of the damages and catalog everything that was happening inside of their country. And so what they did is they said, uh, sent a call out to the country and said, if something has happened, if you have eyewitness, call us, email us information, and we'll catalog it. We'll document it so we know what's happening. Well, they were overwhelmed immediately. Thousands and thousands of calls coming in. There's no way that they could handle it. And so they turned to TensorFlight and said, hey, can you help us understand this problem at scale at a nationwide level? And the TensorFlight team, uh, you know, because we do have an office in Warsaw, Poland, you know, next door, they jumped on this opportunity. And in three weeks, we built a training data set of 20,000 locations across Ukraine. We trained our AI and we achieved a greater than 90% accuracy rating on our damage assessments. So same technology, same information uh, that people are looking for in hurricanes and post-wildfire, 
we were able to apply to Ukraine in a war zone. So we're very proud of that work we did with them. And beyond that, you know, we were able to give them that damage. They also were able to use our replacement cost and really quantify the actual cost of the, the damages that were happening. So we were able to give them instant information. And this isn't just information where they could see where they were in control, but also behind enemy lines, which is an entirely like insane thing to think about that we're at a day and age now that TensorFlight was able to task a satellite that could fly and capture data behind enemy lines. And we were able to provide that back to the Ukrainian people and help them, uh, you know, understand what was happening there. Well, and obviously a very tragic situation out there, but mm-hmm. it's fascinating that, that you've got so much data to be able to work with. And from this humanitarian or recovery stage, I mean, I heard a number recently of $300 billion just mm-hmm. in the current situation. Who knows how that's going to develop? But it sounds like that, you know, those kind of figures are coming from ground truth assessments that you've been able to make looking at damage and, and playing into all the strengths you've got for, for rebuild costs. So it's, it's yeah. a really interesting sort of parallel world. And, and so the implication of that is that you're not just looking at the US, but you can do this for back to an insurance world now. You mm-hmm. can do this around the world, presumably, yep. for, uh, for loss. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, in the EU especially, right? So beyond our work, you know, directly with uh, the Ukrainian government, you know, we're really looking at that, the EU market and how they're being impacted. And, you know, with Russia shutting off the power supplies, shutting off the fuels to Western Europe, you're, you're seeing this explosion of solar panels going on people's roofs, you know, and how does that change a policy uh, for a carrier? You know, maybe you have a, a two or $300,000 property that you're insuring that all of a sudden has an $80,000 solar array on top of it. Our customers are asking for that information and, you know, we're, we're able to respond and provide that back both, you know, at commercial and residential properties throughout Europe. Talking about properties again, I guess one of the key things that insurers need to be able to do is to consistently and accurately match up a property that has a loss occurring to a property that they insured. Clearly, certainly in the US, every property's got an address, but often the addresses are recorded differently. So you get this challenge between the portfolio companies holding and what happens in the loss. Some organizations are starting to talk about building tagging and building IDs. Even some countries, that's actually starting to happen. But but what's your experience? You've you've been in Mm -hmm. this world for quite a while. Where are we in terms of sort of what's happening with unique identification for building around the world? You know, geocoding is very tough and... Every country has its challenges. Uh, and I think that a lot of the solutioning and a lot of the, you know, kind of building ID projects, you're going to see achieved at country levels, uh, right? And so TensorFlight is engaged in uh, partnerships with a number of different organizations that are out there creating that next generation geocoding, creating those address tags or those location tags. Another thing that, you know, we're finding is carriers are simply collecting a latitude and longitude for the property, uh, just because that technology is on everybody's phone these days. Uh, you know, so there are workflows, although taxing, right, to, to capture that data and, and pass it along through the system, uh, where we do get pretty good data. 
but really at the end of the day, you need a nationwide commercial source. Yeah. And then just thinking this kind of kind of continuing through this use case. So you know, buildings are changing all the time. What's the sort of timeliness of the data or the confidence you give people that the, sure. the data you're giving represents you know, what they're actually insuring? This is one of the tough parts about uh, the business I'm in, there are tons of flights in, is the currency of the data, right? So it depends on, you know, who's flying, what, when. One of the things that we do, uh, we do not pre-process anything. So when a customer requests data about an address, we will go and select the most current data available. Uh, whether that's from, you know, Airbus, GIC, Nearmap, whoever that provider is who has the most current location or current data, that's what we'll process and give that back. And then, of course, we have a, a timestamp or a date stamp for when that image came out. So that data is, is current to that date, right? One of the other, I'll, I'll riff on this just for a second. One of the other pieces about that uh, processing uh, is... Machine learning and AI advances so quickly that every two or three weeks, our algorithm is more accurate than it was before. And so we're always advancing that technology where you just can't do pre-processing. You have to do it live. So I, I'm really interested in this, pre, this not pre-processing, do it live concept. So, so just if I understood what you're saying correctly, real time, you're doing a data call to go and see who's got the most recent image of this property, process it, and return it back to the the user in mm -hmm. presumably like milliseconds because they don't want to wait. Why do you want to wait and thought about it? It is not milliseconds, unfortunately, because processing does take uh, time. So it's in the order of seconds, right? To get into those sub-second response times, uh, you know, it requires you creating uh, or pre-processing data and creating stale data and serving that up. Uh, that's kind of the, the give and take, right? But certainly we've created a platform and a system and an API that moves fast enough that we can uh, support our customers at point of float. Uh, so while it's not sub-second, it is plenty fast for the speed of business today. No, right, right answer. I'm tempted to say it's a trick question, but it's just me being a bit too optimistic. <laughs> but I, I say presumably that's a benefit of you offer to people, which is, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to have to wait a few seconds because we're going to go and pull the latest data, but hang on a second, I'll be with you. And, and there it is. Okay, we've done it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's probably mm -hmm. that in terms of actually doing the analysis, it's not a barrier to returning the result. And that's really fascinating because that is, yeah. that's what we hear time and time again, it's speed and then it's, it's confidence. Um, mm -hmm. Well, Jacob, what, what else is happening as you look into the future with, with TensorFly? You've moved quite quickly. You've got some well-recognized companies you can work with. Um, I'd love to get some names of companies, by the way. But what else should we be looking at in the future? We're really building out our uh, partnership portfolio. You know, I'll give you some names, right? So Geosite, Satora, Risk Solved, and we're talking to uh, many, many more. In the U.S., we're working with a number of policy admin systems. Insurity is one of them. You know, really out there uh, talking to Guidewire as well. You know, so these are all potential sources or potential places that you'll be able to plug in our data. As far as the future, it's really on a customer by customer basis, right? So one of the things that we really pride ourselves on is one, being innovative, but also uh, being customer centric and customer driven. So we build things that people ask us to build. 
And, you know, obviously we're vetting them out and saying, you know, is this scalable? Is this something that the rest of the market wants too? I think a great example is that of that is APC panels, you know, which is a sandwich insulation that's used on high rises that in the UK, there's been a number of high profile, uh, uh, high rises that have burned down because of it. Our partners at QBE asked us if we could solve for that problem. Uh, and we were able to develop, uh, the machine learning needed to identify those types of structures in those buildings, uh, and solve for that problem. They believe they've saved over, you know, a million dollars just on inspections. Yeah. I mean, again, it's a tragedy of Grenfell that was the biggest loss there, but I, I can see also applications beyond insurance. If you can identify all of those buildings, cause it's, it's all part of that sort of risk mitigation yeah. and obviously the governments in the UK has stepped in a little bit to support that. So we feel like we covered a lot there, Jacob. Is there anything we haven't spoken about that we should be talking about? For the European market, and, and actually the US market as well, I think this is important, is internet privacy, internet security is becoming more and more of an issue. Because we sit, you know, our technology sits in Poland, uh, we're under the EU uh, guidelines. Uh, so we are GDPR compliant, which is a much more strict compliance than the SOC 2, uh, and very, very serious about privacy. Uh, and so because we're able to meet those requirements, uh, it is much easier to work with us for customers in, in the EU. Uh, so that's, that's definitely been a, a nice bonus of, of being, uh, part of Poland. Yeah. No, we, we know all about GDPR from the perspective of how we use our mailing lists and people who join our events and just the yeah, accommodation being respectful to people, but also not breaking the laws. And definitely, yeah, it does put the focus on it when you're, when you're based in the EU. And, and then for those that want to know a bit more about TensorFlight, what's the best place to sort of build on what we've talked about today? The one thing that I want everybody to know about TensorFlight is, you know, that we love what we're doing. I've worked at a lot of different places and I've never had as much fun as I've had here. Uh, we love taking on those hard problems and solving them for our customers and enjoying every moment of it. Uh, so if you're interested in getting to know us and getting to know the data that we can provide, please reach out to me directly. Challenge Jacob. Yeah. Yes. I love please. it. Please. <laughs> Good. Uh, well, and I could find you on, uh, on LinkedIn, I'm sure. And then finally, uh, you gave us your answer at the beginning and uh, just it's kind of like to leave this resonating in people's ears as they leave. If someone says to them, right, what well, Jacob and Matthew talking about, about TensorFlight, what's the one thing, if nothing else, you want people to remember? Uh, well, really that we're querying multiple different data sources. You know, when you look at the imagery space out there, uh, we're looking at uh, top-down views, we're looking at ortho views, and we're also looking at ground-level view. Uh, so we're pulling out a, another level of data and giving a higher level of accuracy to all of our data using those multiple sources. The multiple data sources, also a thing, as you mentioned in that, I also found really interesting, was this sort of metadata you collect on the the, the property attributes so you can drill into that and literally see what the data sources were. I thought that was really interesting. Well, Jacob, uh, it's pretty early in your day in Tampa and uh, I'm sure you've got a lot going on, so I will let you go. But it's been a pleasure talking to you and hope to see you face-to-face -face somewhere either in your part of the world or over here in, uh, in the UK. 
Likewise, thank you so much. I enjoyed our time together. Hello, Alice Mandy from the research team here. Our next report, Property Intelligence, The Where and What, 50 Plus Companies to Know, will be released on the 22nd of November. It focuses on the trends, technology and data available to help insurers understand where a property is located and what it's made of. On the same day as the report launch, Matthew and I will be joined by Address Cloud, Arturo and E2 Value for a digital live panel discussion. We will discuss the different ways location and property attribute information is being accessed, the new data sources being found and what has changed since our first location intelligence report back in 2021. You can register using the link in the podcast notes. As I mentioned earlier, you can find out more about TensorFlight in our Location Intelligence Report. That's the second edition. And on the website already, www.instec.co for the original one. Now, there may be still time to register for our next event in London on 24th of November. Doors open, 4.30. Free ticket if you're a listener of the podcast or a member. Email us to find out more. Finally, we're delighted to have had seven new corporate members join us in October alone. Now, if you're not a member and you're wondering what you're missing, then email me or any of the team, hello at instec.co, or you can find me on LinkedIn, Matthew Grant. That's it. We're done.